Ephesians chapter 3, the letter to the church in Ephesus from Paul, the preacher to the Gentiles. Any Gentiles here this morning? We're all Gentiles, aren't we? This is to you. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Hey, let's be doers of the word and not just hearers today. Thank you, Jim. So I I invite you to keep your Bible open. Uh, We're going through the a letter uh, to the church at Ephesus, uh, commonly called Ephesians, and the first week uh, we talked about the electing love of the Father and the redeeming work of the Son and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, and then we uh, moved into the second part of chapter one, Paul's prayer, where he's asking uh, that God would open up uh, our eyes so that we can know Jesus better. And then last week, we talked about the first part of chapter 2, and it talks about how God made us alive. Isn't that amazing? He made us alive, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, and it's by grace we're saved through faith. This week, I'm going to just kind of pause a little bit, and I'm going to pretend like we're going up in this hot air balloon. And we're just rising above everything, and we're going to look down on the whole letter of Ephesians today. We're going to do the whole thing. And just so that you can know what the whole thing is about. And then we'll go back 
uh, to the second part of chapter 1. But almost uh, since I became a Christian, I've understood the difference really between spiritual gifts and talents. You know, what's a talent? Uh, Talents are the natural abilities that God gave to everyone. You know, singing, building, crafting, speaking, organizing. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to those who believe in Jesus. Sometimes these are spiritually enhanced talents. I mean, imagine what happens when a singer or a builder or a craftsman or a speaker or an organizer gets saved and begins to use their talent for Jesus. Other times, spiritual gifts are totally other than talent, such as the gift of working miracles or the gift of speaking in tongues. But it wasn't until much later that I began to understand the importance of passion. Passion is connected with God's specific call on our lives. It's the place or people group where God wants us to use the talents and gifts he has given us. I mean, if it was a righteous anger that motivated Paul to write to the Galatians, it was his special calling, and it was his holy passion that inspired Ephesians. Acts 26, 17 and 18 record the words of God's call when he said to Paul, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And as And Paul lived out his call, becoming as passionate for the church as he was against the church. A commentator by the name of Henrietta Mears captures, I think, the passion of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church when she said, in this epistle, we enter the holy of holies in Paul's writings. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, of being caught up to the third heaven Here, as it were, he gives his report. He seems to be carried away as he tells of it. It's the greatest revelation of truth that God has given to us. It is the mystery that has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This book shows us the great mystery of the church. Paul's passion was the church. Ah, his passion was Jesus, of course. But his passion was the church. Church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means uh, called out ones or gathered called ones. The church includes all believers in Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, This morning, I pray that God will amaze you at the wonders of this holy temple, this body, this family, which we call the church. Two points, who we are in Christ, 
That's the first three chapters. That's doctrine, who we are in Christ, and then living in the light of who we are. That's duty or practice. Doctrine, the first three chapters, duty, the last three chapters. So let's talk about who we are in Christ. It deals in the first three chapters. First of all, and we covered this the first week, we're chosen. We're chosen for holiness. That's what it says. We are chosen for holiness, handpicked for holiness. God chose us to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. We're not only chosen, but it says that we're predestined in verse 5 of chapter 1. We're predestined for what? For adoption. Don't let's, get, let's not get weird about the word predestined. Just know this, that before, from before time, God has had his eye on you. God's heart has been inclined toward you. And he's wanted you to be his adopted son or daughter. So we are chosen, verse 4. We are predestined, verse 5 of chapter 1. And then we're also redeemed, verse 7 of chapter 1. We're redeemed for what? For forgiveness. Redeem means to purchase. And the price of your redemption was his blood. And then in verse 9, it says, we are enlightened. We are enlightened concerning God's will and purpose, which is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. God has given us, is giving us, and will give us a knowledge of his will for us. So we're chosen, we're predestined, we are redeemed, we're enlightened, and then we're sealed. We talked about this the first week too. Verse 13. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on our future inheritance. I mean, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have his spirit within you. It's a foretaste of all that's to come. It's an engagement ring. It's a promise of what's to come. We're also empowered. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 21 And you know what kind of power God has given us? Paul tells us that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We're also made alive in in chapter 2, verse 4. We're made alive with Christ because he lives, we can too. Just like Jesus was physically dead and was made alive, so we who are spiritually dead in transgressions and sin, have been made alive. This is another way of saying that we're saved. We can say, I've been saved. I've been made alive. And then also in in verse 6 of chapter 2, we are seated with Christ. And these are all just statements of who we are in Christ. It's doctrine. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The heavenly places are Jesus' present place of power and authority. And as we submit ourselves to Jesus, we share his place of authority. Jesus entrusts us with his special authority. We're seated with Christ. In other words, remember we talked about our hearts are now in heaven. You know, Tony Bennett, you know, I left my heart in San Francisco. Our hearts, when we get saved, are are taken up to heaven and our hearts are with Christ in heaven. And then we're also brought near. Chapter 2, verse 13. It says that we are brought near through the blood of Christ. I mean, this is a special word to us Gentiles. I mean, we were once far away from God. You know, we weren't his chosen special people. 
We were far away from him, far away from his promises. But now, through Jesus, we've been brought near. And then last, we are the church. And the church is described in a few different ways here in Ephesians. We're members of his household, chapter 2, verse 19. We're a holy temple, chapter 2, verses 21. We're one body, uh, 216, 36, 44, and 425. And we are, what Jim just read, we are a revealed mystery. That's what the text said in 36. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. And then Paul prays another beautiful prayer that I want to read to you. It's in chapter 3, starting at verse 14. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole whole family in heaven and earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The first three chapters are all about who we are in Christ, the riches, the incomparable riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that God would open up our eyes again to understand what we have in Christ Jesus. And then the last three chapters talk about living in the light of who we are. You know, how then shall we live? And often Paul wrote his letters like that, doctrine and then duty. So let's talk about living in the light of who we are. First of all, we must preserve unity. We must preserve unity. Unity is not harmony, or unity, unity is harmony, in it, but it's not conformity. Unity is harmony, not conformity. And what does it require? First of all, it requires the right attitude. Okay? Chapter 4, verse 2. Are you, are you turning your pages with me a little bit here? Chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, with one another in love. You got to have the right attitude to preserve unity. But not only the right attitude, you need to have the supreme effort. It says in verse 3, make every effort. It's a supreme, not only the right attitude, the supreme effort. You got to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. But not only the right attitude, And not only the supreme effort, but also the common purpose. So that, in verse 12, so that, here's the purpose, so that the body of Christ might be built up. The right attitude, the supreme effort, the common purpose. We must preserve unity. Also, living in the light of who we are, 
we must put on the new self. And that's chapter 417 to 520. Uh, definition, the new self. It's chapter 4, verse 24. The new self is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the new self. Is created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Chapter 4, verse 24. But this requires that we put off the old self. I mean, if all you had were rags and someone gave you a brand new set of clothes, I mean, what sense would it make to put on these new clothes over your old ones? You know, what's examples of the old in the Christian life? Falsehood, uh, anger, uh, laziness, unwholesome talk, bitterness, unforgiveness, sexual immorality, obscenity, greed. These are examples of the, of the rags of the old life. What's some examples of, of the, the new set of clothes, the, the, the new? It would be truth. It would be hard work. It would be wholesome talk. It would be forgiveness. It'd be a life given over and surrendered to God. It'd be a life of love, a life of praise, a life of thanksgiving. So living in the light of who we are, we must preserve unity. We must put on the new self, and also we must submit to one another. And submission is found in chapter 5, starting at verse 21, to chapter 6, verse 9. And chapter 5, verse 21 says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The rationale, I mean, Jesus, he's our example of submission. He submitted to his Father's will. And then salvation was won for us. When we practice submission in the life of the body of Christ, we become pictures, we become paintings, we become photographs of Jesus to the world. Areas where we can practice submission. And we're just going over this in a very brief way. We're going we're gonna to land the balloon uh, next time I preach, and we're going to go through this more verse by verse. But like marriage is, is you know, a lot, a lot of the guys, you know, uh, they forget about verse 21 in uh, chapter 5, where it says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. So in this context of mutual submission, you know, the husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church, and wives are supposed to submit. There's supposed to be love uh, for your, your wife and respect for your husband. And so submitting to one another in the marriage, submitting to one another in the family, that's uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. It says, children, obey your parents so that you can live longer. You know, there's a submission there for children. And then in the workplace, you know, in, in uh, verses 5, to nine of chapter six, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly 
as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And so we must submit to one another. And then lastly, we must fight the good fight. And there, you know, in chapter 6, it's the armor of God, you know, uh, verses 10 to 24. You know, the Christian life uh, is the easiest and simplest thing in the world. But it's also the most, the, the, the hardest and the most difficult thing in the world. And here Paul calls it a struggle. He calls it a war against the unseen forces of darkness, the devil, you know, this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, as in any war, we need some weapons. We need some armor. And basically, our armor is just to be clothed with Jesus Christ. But he was probably chained to a Roman soldier, and so he kind of divvied it up a little bit. Clothed with truth. That's the belt, the belt of truth. Clothed with righteousness. That's the breastplate. Clothes with the gospel, that's, that's our shoes. You know, we got happy feet. We got beautiful feet. Uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And then uh, faith, that's our shield. And, and salvation, that's our helmet. God's word, that's the, the spirit's sword, the word of God. And prayer, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the saints. So who we are in Christ, that's chapters one to three. Remember, we're up in the balloon, we're looking at the big picture. And then living in the light of who we are. Now, that's chapters four to six. And so what's the conclusion? We cannot preserve unity. We cannot put on the new self. We cannot submit to one another. We cannot fight the good fight. That's part two of this message. Unless we become brand new and receive all that we are in Christ. That we're born of the Spirit. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That has to happen or we'll never be able to carry out the last three chapters of Ephesians. And the grand point, I mean the big point, the big picture of Ephesians is this. We do not become new in a vacuum. That's the cool thing about a church. God has designed the church. The church, his glorious universal church, which includes people of all nations and all races and all tribes and all tongues and all people everywhere who trust Jesus as their Savior to the locale for Christian growth, the incubator of the Christian life. In other words, you know, we really need each other. So Jesus' passion is the church. Remember what he said? I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul said Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.25. In Revelation, the church is described as the bride of Christ. It's only natural for a groom to be passionate about his bride. 
After Jesus, Paul's passion was for the church. Hear the end of his great prayer again in chapter 3. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever and ever. Amen. My question that I want to leave you with is what is your passion? What is your passion? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this little letter, six-chapter letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And Lord, we know from uh, the book of Revelation that they believed all the right things. They didn't tolerate wicked things, and yet uh, you had something against them, and they had lost their first love for you. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to love you and to know you more. Lord, give us that revelation, that wisdom to, to know who you are and who we are in you, God. And because of that, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to preserve uh, unity, Lord, and to, to live out the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to you. Lord, I pray that you would put your passion into our hearts that you give us your desires as we commit our lives to you. You said if we commit our life to you, you would put, you would give us the desire of our hearts. And I pray that you'd put your desire in our hearts. A passion for your church. A real passion for you to glorify you in everything that we do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And I pray, God, that you would Bless the offering now as we bring our tithe to you. And I pray that it would be a reflection of your love that you poured out into our hearts, Lord, and that we would worship you. It would actually be a worship time as we gather the tithe and our offerings to honor you so that your word uh, can go out through the ministry of this church that we call Calvary in Jesus' name. Amen. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. And remember, he's with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen. Amen.